Exodus chapter 35, we are going to encounter the Israelites giving. We're going to encounter their generosity. Now, as I talk about generosity, I, in fact, is not that long ago when we were talking through the law, we talked about the concept of a tithe and Israel. What does that mean for us as Christians? We kind of talked through that. If you're interested in listening to that, you can go back. I don't want to give you any specific principles. I don't even want to like place on Alliance Bible Church some expectations that I have. None of what I say today comes out of my evaluations of this church. None of, uh, I mean, unless it's good stuff, right? Uh, but now, none of what I say today comes out even of my evaluations of any particular individuals. My goal today is to give you tools for you to evaluate yourselves. In fact, as I have been going through this uh, passage this week, the, uh, just preparing my own heart, I realized that what the Lord was doing was giving me tools to evaluate myself and my own level of generosity. So uh, I, I don't come to you with any major fundraising campaign that I desire to accomplish. I don't come to you uh, with any particular expectations that you are going to respond. What I want for you to do, and I'm what I want all of us to do is to become very self-evaluative this morning, that we would be willing to examine ourselves and our own heart and how that sits with our money and our resources and with generosity. So I want you to do that because this is what I genuinely believe. I genuinely believe that this is a generous church. I not only believe that, but I have seen it. I've seen it displayed, you know, so that, that's something that I am aware of. And, um, you know, what's interesting is that uh, there are some churches that you go to that uh, kind of the unwritten code or even kind of written code, if you're a member or something like that, is that it's like required for everybody to give 10%. Now, you know what I know. Uh, I know that if every person in this church gave 10% of their income to the church, uh, we would have more money than we actually know what to do with, right? Like that is a, a strong reality. And that tithing, uh, it, it, people treat it like a mandate, right? But, but the model of the New Testament is really interesting. It, it seems to be giving based out of a place of generosity, Based out of a place that uh, you know is has a heart directed towards Christ and a heart directed towards His people, and and so as I think about this church, as I think about kind of what we need to do to to learn to evaluate ourselves, as I even think about how I lead as a pastor, how uh, our elders lead, you know what that looks like, I, I kind of want to give you this principle that we're going to take into this sermon, and the principle is this: Jesus doesn't coerce giving. Jesus doesn't coerce giving. He calls us into generosity, right? So Jesus doesn't stand over us heavy-handed, uh, kind of saying, hey, like, you need to make sure that you do this. You need to give this much. If you don't, I'm going to send you a bill uh, to make sure that you give me your due, right? Like, that's not how he works. He doesn't coerce giving. He calls us to have generous hearts, Right, he calls us into generosity. 
So we are in the midst of a a series in the book of Exodus called The Tabernacle. This is our last series in the book of Exodus. And so you're probably wondering, are we almost done with Exodus? And let me tell you, we are almost done with Exodus. We're getting there. We are on the very edges of being done. Just a few more weeks. So with that being said, I want to encourage you, don't check out. Don't you like stick with me, right? We have we have just a few more really important weeks. And and you might even ask the question, like, it seems like we've we've worked with this idea of God dwelling with his people and God's presence being there. And we talked a lot about that. And you might go, like, we, we kind of seem to be belaboring this point, right? We seem to be stuck on this point. And there's a reason that we are stuck on this point, because it is like the most important thing in all of Scripture. Right, like this is the thing that God is doing in the world. This is his work. He is coming to dwell where people are. Right, so, so you know, as we interact with this process, like we look at the story of scripture and there in the beginning in the garden, you know, God was with people and then people sinned and God could not be with them, but God was working so that he could be with them. And so he comes and dwells with them in the tabernacle and then they build a temple. Like you could outline the story of scripture around all of the different ways that God comes to be with people. And this is how much he cares about it. He cares so much that he would take on flesh and go to a cross and die for us so that he could be with us. So, so I want you to know this this morning. God's work is to dwell where people are. We talked about this two weeks ago. God's work, the thing that he does in the world, is dwelling where people are. So last week, Pastor Don came up and talked to you about uh, what it means that God would skill, give skills to people, equip people, empower people for his work. Today, we're going to look at how God resources his work through the generosity of his people. So, uh, so we're going to watch how he does this with the tabernacle. Exodus 35, 4 to 5. This is what it says. It says, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. And so uh, then after that, uh, no, you can go back to the the one before that. Thank you. Uh, So from that point, from verses 4 and 5, he's going to go on to describe what the contribution looks like. We're not going to get into the details of what that contribution looks like. I just want you to note two things about it. First of all, their contributions were not how we think of contributions. Their contributions were not cash. They did not have a central economic structure. They did not have like a central form of currency at this point. So the way that they gave their economy is actually built around their trade, their profession, uh, the thing that they selected, or it's built around the, um, the, uh, the ornaments that they have. It's built around the, the precious metals that they have, right? But they don't have a central form of currency. So, so they gave out of kind of the resources that they already had with them, but there wasn't like cash or anything like that. So that's the first thing to note. Uh, the second thing to note is that God's first command to give to the tabernacle, like this, this most important work that he is doing, right? His first command is not a mandate. It says, uh, take from among you a contribution to the Lord, and then there's a qualifier in there. It's It's not like this is written into law, but he says, 
whoever is of generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Now, I think that is very interesting. That the, the Lord would say, this is the most important thing that he has to do. This is the work that he has been trying to accomplish again and again and again. And they do have, for what it's worth, required, mandated forms of giving. Right? This was written into the law. They have ways that they're going to take care of their priests. Uh, they have ways that they're going to kind of manage the sacrificial system and all of that. But that's not what this is about. This is something beyond that. This is... A special contribution. And so the Lord says, let the generous people give something to this work. Whoever is of generous heart. So, so it's interesting. God kind of gives them a vision. Right? He says, I am coming to be with you and among you. Right? I'm coming to make my home in this people. So people, if you are moved by this vision, then bring your contributions. If this is something that you think is important, if this is something that you believe is valuable, then bring your contributions. So then he gives all of the instructions about the different kinds of contributions. And then Israel is now going to respond to this call. So Exodus 35, 20 to 21, this is what it says. It says, then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting. So remember, God's primary work is that he is coming to dwell where people are. So notice the way that he accomplishes that work. Like he could, I mean, he's God after all, he could out there in the middle of the desert, like literally raise the resources needed to accomplish this up out of the ground. Like he could make them arise out of the ground. But what he does instead is very interesting. He waits for people to be compelled by the thing that he's working to do. He waits for their hearts to be stirred. He basically said, okay, here's my vision. Here's what I want to do. But it's no good if it's just my vision, right? I want you to participate in this with me. So he's saying, actually, like, If I'm going to do this thing, my people need to take ownership of this thing with me. So in other places throughout this passage, this would actually be called a free will offering. Uh, The indication is, yeah, there's the basic offering that you're required to give as a part of living in this nation. but But then there's this free will offering. And so the implication here is that we have uh, kind of three things fitting really well together. We have generosity right, being moved in the heart. We have, on top of that, ownership of vision, right? God saying, this is the work that I want to do. I need you to participate in it with me. And then, and then along with that, you have hearts being stirred, people being moved. So all of this, like, works together to kind of indicate one central thing, one thing that God really cares about. God wants me to love funding what he loves, God wants me to love funding and resourcing and supplying the things that he loves. Like this is his most important work. This is the thing that he wants to do and he doesn't mandate anything for it. In fact, uh, this, if this work is going to matter for the long term for the people, the people actually have to participate in it with him. So this, the second implication here. If, there is, like, if this is dependent 
on everyone's personal response in Israel, then kind of like the indication is possibly that there are some who were not so generous, right? Like there are some who would have heard this call and and really only the generous ones were the ones who responded. There were some who were perhaps not so generous. So as we think about this concept, this is where we get into the self-evaluative aspect. I want to examine five different postures of generosity. And as we consider these postures, I want you to kind of pray and think and even let the Holy Spirit speak to you as to kind of where you might fall in terms of these postures. So the first posture of generosity is that you would be willing to give, but unable to give. So that you, you really want to participate in this, but, but you're limited in the amount of um, you know, how much you can give. So what this means is that you're kind of living at your means. Uh, you have what you need to eat and kind of have shelter and maybe have something a little left. And, and you may even, out of that little that you have left, give. But it's not very much. And if you kind of, if you're prone to kind of evaluate too much, you look at how much you gave and you're like, this doesn't have very big of an impact, right? You, you feel like you're not able to participate as fully as you want to. And so if this is your situation, right? Like if you feel like you are kind of living at the end of, end of your means and you give uh, what you can and maybe even above what you can and you feel like it's not very much, I want you to receive this encouragement. If that is you, you are the most celebrated giver in God's eyes. God celebrates and loves and adores the kind of giving that you do more than any other kind of giving. Right? Like, God is more pleased with you than he is with any other giver. Why? Well, one time Jesus saw a widow. And that widow was Poor, very poor, in fact, and she put two copper coins into the collection. We are left to assume that that was basically like what she had for that week, maybe even for that month. And he said that she had put more in than anyone else. Now tell me how that makes sense. Because you look at the amount that she put in, and she certainly did not put that much in. But Jesus says that she put in more than anyone else. And this is why, he says, because everybody else gives out of their abundance. But she gave out of her poverty. Right, so if this is you, you may not feel like or even observe that you can contribute much value, but Jesus actually says that your contribution is the most significant value. Like in terms of kingdom economics, yours is the most significant value. So if that's you, I want you to be encouraged Uh, The second posture of generosity, that you would be unwilling and unable. So so this would be the person who would say, even if I had money, giving is kind of my last priority, or maybe not my very last priority, but it's somewhere low on the list. So for what it's worth, money is not just controlling. Money does not just kind of take up a spot of idolatry in the heart of people who have money, but it also happens to do that for people who lack money as well. 
right? So uh, there were people who very likely did, did not have many resources in the midst of the people of Israel, who were concerned with using the little resources that they had for their own purposes rather than for God's purposes. So that is one potential posture of generosity as well. A third possible, uh, possibility is that you would be able and unwilling. Right? So this is the person who has resources. This is the person who has margin to give regularly and consistently. But they're kind of more sold on their own desires for their resources than they are on God's vision for the life of the people that they're a part of. God's vision, the thing that he's trying to accomplish. So, so for today, what that might mean is that, uh, that occasionally this person might desire to give, but uh, can't get on board. So like, there are two realities. You could give because, because you really want to give, right? And, and you could not give because you don't have the desire to give. So, but there's, there's also a possibility that occasionally a person might be able and unwilling to give if you were in a church where you, you felt like they were supporting something unbiblical or not following through with what God really wants for people to do. And if that's the case, like if you would get to a spot ever in a church where you're like, uh, I can't put my money behind this. I can't feel like I can support this generously because this is what God calls a, a church to do and a church to be, that I would tell you that the thing that you need to do is like not stop giving your money to that church. You probably need to find a different church, right? You need to be a part of a different body so that you can fully resource that vision that you're a part of, right? So occasionally you'll get somebody unwilling along those lines. Uh, oftentimes people are unwilling because they're more concerned with their own purposes than they are with God's. So then finally we get into those who are both able and willing. And these are the people who give faithfully and consistently, right? These are those who set aside, uh, you know, at, at the various times that are allotted, the, their portion. They're committed. They're invested in God's work consistently. And then beyond that, you have a, a category of people who are both able and generous. And these are those who have resources. And they always kind of have their eye open to what God wants to do next, right? They always have their eye open to the next opportunity to fund and resource God's vision. In fact, these people may even be willing to deny certain comforts of life if it means that something for the kingdom gets to get done, right? So, so I, I don't know where you find yourself among these five different postures, but, but wherever you find yourself, there is kind of one thing that is true about all of this, and it is this. God is just as concerned with the how of your giving as he is the how much. He is just as concerned with the posture of your heart as you give as he is with how much you give. So, so as you consider that reality, like, and again, these are self-evaluative questions. Do you actually believe that the local church is the hope of the world, that we are the presence of God in the world? Do you share God's vision of coming to dwell where people are through the church? Like, are you concerned for the poor and the weak around the world, right? Because that's one of the needs that God is concerned with meeting with generosity. Does your use of money display a willingness to adopt God's heart? 
right? I have no answer or opinion or perspective. Again, like I said, I had, like, I, as I think about Alliance Bible Church, I only have good things to say about what we do with money. But um, I just want you to evaluate yourself because I know that these are questions that God wants us to ask ourselves. So uh, they respond, and then we're going to actually read what they bring in verse 22. This is significant. Exodus 35, 22. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets and all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. Do you know what these things are? These are the things that many of them took and threw into a big pot and had that pot boiled down and melted so that they could cover a calf and worship that calf falsely at the foot of the mountain where God was. This was, these were the the ornaments that they used to kind of commit their idolatry before God. These are the things that serve to them as a reminder of the calf. So Exodus 33, 5 and 6 reminds us of this. It says, For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So, now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Take off the things that you were willing to burn so that you could worship something falsely. So it says in verse 6, Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments. They responded with repentance from Mount Horeb onward. So God recognizes the things that they were wearing, these gold pieces, as instrumental in their disobedience. And so as an act of repentance, God calls them to remove these items And the people respond by removing them. So then what happens after that? Well, uh, Moses, he goes up on the mountain and then he pleads for Israel, right? He has this kind of uh, uh, discussion with God where he says, God, no, you can't leave us. We need you to go with us. And he reminds God of his promises and of his reputation. And so then what does God do? God has mercy. He does two things in particular. Number one, he says, okay, I will go with Israel. I will go among the people, right? Even though they sinned against me, even though they worshiped falsely, Moses, because you ask, I will go with them. But then he does a second thing that's really important. He remakes the covenant with them. The covenant that they broke after he just gave it to them, he remakes that covenant and this is how he opens it. He says, the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, full of steadfast love. He talks about his identity. He talks about his mercy. So so these things that once were instrumental in their rebellion, kind of, they, they bring these things to be used for the tabernacle. And that happens kind of in the context of their repentance and of God's mercy. Like the two of these things happening at the same time. They repent and God is merciful to them. And so then they bring their offering for the tabernacle. So let's kind of frame this a little differently in terms of steps. Step one, 
and we're, again, evaluating ourselves here. Step one, my resources fund what I love and worship. Right? Like, that is our propensity. Nobody has to train you to do this. You already know how to use your money for what you want. So, uh, step two. I experience the weight of my false worship. Step three. While I'm under that weight, God has mercy. So then step four. I learn to fund what God loves. Now we're going to leave this up here and talk about it a little bit. So like I said, you don't have to be trained to use your money and your resources for what you want. So then step two, if you pursue that pathway long enough, you will discover that it is broken and either it will break for you or God will kind of make you aware of its brokenness and you become aware that there's like a particular weight Right? There's, there's something crushing about pursuing these false things and using your resources to continue pursuing those things. And so when you get to this point where you encounter this weight, you have several choices. You could seek God right, in the midst of being confronted with the weight. You could pursue a different form of false worship. Or you could decide to, okay, I feel the weight of this. I'm going to double down on my current effort. And so, so in any of those options, and for what it's worth, Israel doesn't have a choice here, right? Because they're at the foot of the mountain. God's up there. When they feel the weight of their sin, they're, in the, like, they're on the edge of the presence of God. So, so then, when you encounter that weight... When, and if you respond by seeking God, then in step three, while you're under that weight, you need to know that the God of the Bible is a God who meets you in that weight with his mercy. He meets you in that weight with his compassion. Through the story of Scripture, even through the Old Testament, everybody's like, the God of an Old Testament is a mean God. The God of the Old Testament is a merciful God. Time and time again, we read about a God who extends mercy. To the extent that, in the New Testament, God in the flesh, Jesus, would willingly endure mockery and beating and torture and death on a cross in our place for our false worship so that we could be forgiven. And when you begin grasping the extent to which God has been merciful to you in Jesus, then you actually start to become responsive to his desires. Your heart starts to align with his heart so that in step four, he actually begins retraining your heart to not just participate with your understanding, but to participate with your actions. To put your resources behind his efforts and show kind of your love to those efforts. So, so how does Jesus frame this for us? We'll kind of take this up. In Matthew 6, 19, and 20, 19 through 21, it says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. 
where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Four, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right, so what he's saying is, when you put your money in the place as a response to God, your resources in that place, your heart may not be there yet. But as you put it there, your heart begins to get pulled along with it because you recognize that you are displaying participation with God in his purposes and his work so that wherever you put your treasure, your heart is going to follow that thing. So our main point this morning is this. Church, we need to learn to be generous toward what God loves. We need to let God shape us to be generous toward what he loves. So what does God love? Well, remember, God's primary work is to dwell where people are. In Israel, that was the tabernacle. Today, that work is done through the church and the people of God and the ministries that we utilize. Okay, so what? So what? We're going to kind of sum all of this up with some clear next steps. Number one, Alliance Bible Church, you should be commended for your generosity. Right? Like, I have, I come up here and I am so thankful that I don't have to come up here with a sense of discontentment or a sense of frustration. What I know is that God is providing for this church. In fact, to the contrary of a sense of discontentment, what I know is that every time somebody comes up and we need to like take a special offering, y'all respond. Like you give to those offerings, you give to those opportunities, you take up the chance to meet the needs that arise. And so I'm really thankful for that. I know that I, I see the way even that you all care for each other financially behind the scenes. And nobody, no, I, like I'm one of the few people who kind of get a back seat to this. I get to wa- witness what happens, right? That there is caring for one another and people giving and caring anonymously for other people. And it's all a joy to witness this happen. You are a generous church and you are to be commended. You value outreach. That's not a common thing. But you resource outreach in our community. You value taking care of your pastors, right? I see all of this. And so, so I say all of that to say, Alliance Bible Church, thank you for being willing to be generous. Now, that's me talking to the whole of us. So what I know is that within the whole, it's likely that there are people who still need to evaluate what does it mean for me to become more generous. So our last three so what's are related to that. Number two, I want to ask you, I want you to ask yourself, how are you planning your next step of generosity? Right, and I want to tell you in the midst of that, start with prayer. Now, I'm not telling you to start with prayer so that you can decide to pray and then figure out that the Lord is not calling you to generosity right now. Because what I know is that the Lord is always calling us to generosity, right? So I want to tell you to start with prayer because engagement with the Lord is key in this process. Like if God is the real owner of all of our resources, then it strikes me that we should always be asking him, okay, what next financial step do you want me to take? 
How, what next do you want me to do to be a resourcer of your kingdom? And you might say, okay, I, I already know that, that God, uh, God wants me to have a certain comfort or God wants me to have this new toy or whatever, right? Like God's okay with me uh, getting this thing for myself. But it seems like God is far more concerned about the posture of our hearts and how our pocketbooks are shaping our hearts than he is with us getting those particular Things. So, like, I wonder if more of us would actually, like, engage with God and actually really be concerned about what he wants to do with our money. I wonder if more people, and I'm not just saying about us in this church, I'm just talking about American Christianity in general. I wonder if more people were actually willing to, with a humble heart, approach the Lord and say, whatever you want for my finances, how many more people might have, like, I don't know, rich young ruler experiences where God says, okay, you know what I want in this case? You know what your next step is? It's to sell everything you own and give it to the poor and follow me. Right? So I wonder, I just, what I want more than anything from this is I just want us to approach God with a heart of humility and open hands and say, okay, direct the next step. What do you want with my finances? So start with prayer and then build towards your next step. Maybe you need to increase your giving by a percentage point or two or three, I don't know. Maybe there's another ministry that you're aware of that you are really excited about and you, the Lord has moved your heart toward that thing and you want to start partnering with that ministry. Maybe you want to give to a local food pantry, right? To, to take care of the needs of the poor in our community, right? It's valid all the time for Christians to constantly be looking for and working towards the next opportunity for generosity. Uh, Number three, remember the Great Commission Fund and give to it. So, So if God's work is to dwell where people are, then the Great Commission Fund is one of the most significant ways that that gets done because you have international workers literally going to places that uh, are not open to the gospel, going to places where they have not heard the word of God proclaimed uh, consistently. (coughs) And then in those places, those people go and live and dwell in those places and bring the word about Jesus with them. And some of these countries are creative access, which means that Some of those international workers, they have to start by going in and doing community development programs and building businesses and contributing to the flourishing of life in those places. And then just like being generous people, actually being the presence of God in that place. And as people see that and they're intrigued by it, uh, they, they start to build relationships with those people. And from that place, begin to share the word of God and the gospel with them. And they come to believe. So, so what this means is that supporting the Great Commission Fund is actually like a significant way to express your generosity and participate in God's work. So as we talk about like next steps and what is my next step, maybe your next step is to commit to some kind of a monthly gift to the Great Commission Fund. Because as we give, we grow our hearts towards what God wants because our heart follows where our treasure is. And if that is his work around the world, like one of the next steps that we know we need to take as a church even is that we need to get more connected to the global work that is happening around the world. Well, it's going to start with our hearts going that place. And you know how you get your heart there? You put your treasure there and it follows with it. So number four, 
And this is where we end. The one who has been forgiven much loves much. Sometimes I wonder if, like let's just talk about me for a second. I, I wonder if when I lack generosity, it's because I take forgiveness for granted. It's like one thing to show up week after week for worship on Sunday, but, uh, but it's quite another to give in a way that would sacrifice comfort. But people who give in this way, they do so often because they recognize something. They recognize how helpless and hopeless they would have been without Jesus. Like if Jesus never stepped into my life, I would have been in a dire state. But you know what? He did step in. He gave me what I could not get myself, so I give back whatever I can give. Like Jesus would make the point that your level of generosity says something about what you love. So we're going to close with this story. Jesus was at the house of a religious leader. And in the middle of that house, you know, there's all of this talk probably about theology or something else. And, and this woman bursts into the house, into the middle of the gathering, and, and she comes up and she falls at Jesus' feet. She's weeping. She's crying. Her tears are literally falling on his feet, and she's wiping off the tears, and she's uh, pouring oil over Jesus, and uh, she's kissing his feet. And, uh, and the religious leader looks at this and says, if he knew what kind of woman she was. He wouldn't let it happen. So Jesus says to him, his name is Simon, and Jesus says to him, Simon, let me tell you a story. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one who owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wipes them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Alliance Bible Church, as we learn to become generous, get behind God's work with our generosity. It's super important that we remember and reflect on and constantly keep in front of us exactly how much we have been forgiven. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, I am grateful for your work of generosity towards us. Lord, you showed your love so clearly to us. Lord, I'm grateful that I can come and talk to this church and not have to have discontent and not have to have concern, but, but honestly just be open 
to your word leading us to evaluate ourselves and ask questions about what you want with our money. So Lord, as we do that, the thing that I particularly want you to do, Holy Spirit, in the hearts of each and every person in this room, is help us to realize exactly how much we have been forgiven. And to not lose sight of it. Lord, to not kind of walk through the motions, to not um, just kind of go from place to place to place and do our tasks and fulfill our duties without an awareness of all the time what you paid, what was actually required to be paid for our forgiveness. Lord, and let us rest in the richness of your mercy. Lord, and be so rich in that, that whatever resources we have in the world, that we would maybe even willing to be poor with those things. Because we have the riches that we need in you. Holy Spirit, lead us as we ask you what it is that you want. Shape us and form us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.